You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of Across the Romaverse, the Chiesa di Tati podcast. I say special simply because this one will be a bit shorter and more specifically focused on Roma's upcoming fixture against Benevento. So we'll try and keep the meandering to a minimum, uh, instead focusing on the keys, questions, and storylines heading into this match. Um, I don't know, maybe if some of you guys caught my appearance on The Old Lady Speaks, our uh, Juventus podcast, our colleagues there. Uh, so midway through that discussion, I derailed them and started talking about Encino Man, the Polly Shore classic movie from the 90s. Uh, I, I won't be doing that here. I only mess up other people's podcasts. Uh, it's a bit like when you go into a hotel, you trash the room. Um, so before we get into all that, um, Sean, you wanted to give us a quick date, quick update on the other story of the round, the fallout from Juve and Napoli last week. Um, so as you may recall, the match was sort of called off Juventus. Uh, we're just walking out of the tunnel waiting for Napoli to show up, and obviously they never did, and the judgment came down this week. So that is uh, pretty much the biggest non-Roma story in the week um, leading up to, I think this is round five or round six now. Uh, so, Sean, why don't you give us the latest on that? Yeah, we said this would be the biggest story of the week, and uh, we said last week that it was starting to turn around and look bad for Napoli, and it's looking even worse for them now. Um, the major inconsistency that's happened in that story was that uh, Saturday, Saturday, the day before the game against Juve, they had uh, gotten a, received an, an, a note from the health authority in Napoli. There, there are actually four health authority centers in Napoli, but they, they received a note from uh, health authority too. And it actually wrote, the health authority wrote to them and said that they understood that they'd had two players testing positive for COVID in the local area, but that it wouldn't constitute a big enough incident to call off a game or call off a match or ban them from traveling. Um, so that, that's really the most, um, the, 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 that's the piece of evidence that Napoli can't get past, no matter how much they protest. Uh, Napoli then wrote to Health Authority 1 in Napoli, in Naples, um, either on Saturday evening or Sunday morning, asking for clarification and they received a second note from the health authority and you can decide for yourself if this is clarification or if it's a totally different story. Yeah. I like the, that second note, <laughs> yeah the second note they received from the health authority was saying that they understood the uh, you know, Napoli situation, the football club and um, that they, 
would ban them from traveling. And that was, that was a clarification of their earlier note where they said that, you know, it was no problem. So uh, basically the, the stink of this is that Aurelio um, de Rentes, the Napoli owner, is a well-known campaign backer of, uh, I think his name is Vincenzo De Luca, the governor of, of Campania, um, which is, you know, the region of Naples. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just everyone, the league and Juventus have basically accused Napoli of colluding with their local politicians to come up with a, basically what a sick note for skipping school. Um, this is, you know, they're the only health authority in the country that's actually taken intervention like this in terms of a football match. There is no other health authority around the country that's taken a step. Not even Genoa, where with their 14 players uh, testing positive, you know, got a note from the health authority. So it's looking pretty bad for Napoli. It's looking like they never really had um, any intentions of fully taking part in this season, and that you know that they're, they're taking the back way out. And uh, the league feel like they can't let clubs get away with this because otherwise then you'll have people fixture manipulating all season long when it suits them. Right, and correct me if I'm wrong. So they were the three points went to Juventus for the win, and weren't Napoli also docked a point? Yeah, exactly. For essentially foul play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting. I didn't realize. The thing that I don't understand. Oh, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I was just going to say from a Napoli perspective, with the form they were in and the form Juve was in, it, it almost would have been better for them to play. So, you know, the people that might make the argument Napoli didn't want to go play Juve, I think, you know, from a form perspective, I think it was a perfect time for Napoli to play Juve. So it's a bit uh, disappointing as a, a not even a neutral because I, I think everybody wants Juve dethroned at this point. I think that was a good chance for a, a, a team to jump on uh, Juve in the yeah. situation they were in. We saw how Roma played them well, and I think Napoli's in even better form than Roma for <laughs> sure. So I think Juve might have dodged a big bullet and really gotten away with uh, a stolen three points. Yeah, and this it's all... It's a good point. Yeah. Yep, and this all comes against the uh, the backdrop of the UEFA um, Super Spreader League. I mean, the UEFA Nations League. <laughs> so, yeah. We've seen... Wait, uh, which which you're, not, you're not a big fan of. No, I, it's, under, it's, it's a convoluted <laughs> sort of... Yeah, it's a convoluted tournament. They're just trying to beef up um, the friendlies. But I think mm-hmm. when you're talking about in the midst of a global pandemic, uh, having players come from disparate nations, go to another nation to play, then return to their separate leagues, it just seems like it's a Petri dish. Like it's a rife for transmission of this virus. Yeah. And we saw it was Ronaldo tested positive. Um, and somebody, uh, Sean, what's the yes, team? And, and he's, yeah, yeah, Sean, what's the team in England where like half their starting lineup is from Portugal? Uh, is it in wolves? wolves, right? Wolves, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone yeah. made a joke. It's like, well, there goes all wolves starting 11. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just... Like, yeah, it's Cristiano just, Ronaldo has been officially accused by the Minister of Sport of breaking curfew. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. So lots of interesting stuff going on in international break. Um, yeah. So if we, we... So this is our first sort of mini pod uh, focused specifically on a match preview. So if this becomes a regular thing, we'll uh, make this part of it just sort of a quick update of what's going on around the league. Um, so I misspoke. This is actually the round four fixture. I think I had my men's and women's leagues uh, mixed up there. Um, so Roma's uh, hosting Benevento this week. So Roma entered this round four fixture sporting a one, one, and one record. So that's one win, one draw, and one loss. Uh, of course, the loss was handed down from above after the Amadou Diawara listing error against Verona. Um, so that turned what was initially a draw into a 3 0 loss. Uh, Roma were able to rebound from that with a slim 1-0 victory over Udinese before the break, uh, thanks to Pedro's first goal in a Roma shirt, which is a really, really nice long-range effort. 
And of course, as I just mentioned, they're facing newly, prevented Benevent newly promoted Benevento, uh, who are making actually their only their second appearance in the top flight. Um, and since it's nearly Halloween, it's only fitting that Roma are playing the Sorcerers this weekend. Um, one of my favorite names in Syria. I think that's kind of the shame of European football. They don't really go by nicknames like we do in American sports. Like you have the Giants, the Tigers, things like that. There's a lot of great uh, ones in Italy, especially. You have the Sorcerers. I think there's a team called, um, what's Cortone? What are they? I don't know what their nickname is. Yeah, there's one where like the seahorses and then there's, yeah, there's just some great names. Anyway, uh, so before <laughs> we get into specifics, let's take a quick look at Benevento. So Benevento are obviously managed by people in Zage. Uh, they run, basically I looked, they run a 4-4-3 and thus far this year they defeated Sampdoria in the opening week. Uh, lost pretty soundly to Inter before bouncing back to beat Bologna. Uh, and like most newly promoted teams, it's a mixture of veterans and younger players. Um, but if you run through the roster, you see some familiar faces. We have Iago Falque, uh, who played for Rome. Uh, we had Gian Gianluca Caprari, who I believe is from Rome. Mm -hmm. uh, we had former Roma rumor connectee Camille Glick, who was a defender for Torino for quite a bit. Uh, we have Marco Sal, Christian Maggio, and of course, the famous Gianluca Slapadula, the player who was infamously slapped in the face <laughs> by Daniela De Rossi. And before we get into this, excuse me, Daniele De Rossi, and before we get into the specifics of the match, I just wanted to, again, um, if you do a quick Google of Benevento, they are called the Sorcerers, and their badge is actually a witch riding a broom against a field of red and yellow. That's just awesome. Yeah. You don't I find did, that stuff I, in other leagues. I did hear them called the witches last week on, on the Serie A commentary in English. So, All right. Good. Yeah. So that is uh, just a brief overview of who Roma's facing this weekend. Um, so let's get into it a little bit more. Uh, so let's start with Steve. Steve, so if we look at the keys to victory here, what do you think Roma has to do to defeat Benevento? So I haven't seen Benevento play a full match yet. This will be the first time I watched them play 90 minutes. But I watched the highlights of all their matches to prepare for this. And what I noticed was when they did give up goals, they gave up a lot of goals on cross balls, either in the air or on the ground. And they also gave up a couple goals where they were pressured into making mistakes in the back when they tried to play out from the back. So it seems like that's some, that part of it could play into Roma's hands if they press like the way Fonseca likes to press. Um, maybe they could force a mistake from the back line. But I think one thing might be, and this is something Roma doesn't generally do very well, is to whip in crosses and let Dzeko or somebody attack the ball. Um, just because when I watched the, the five goals Inter scored and the, the two that Sampdoria scored, those are the kind of goals they gave up. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a mix of a lot of decent veteran players. So to me, this is a team that, and I picked them to survive relegation this year. A lot of the time, those newcomers are pegged for relegation. But I think they've built a nice squad. You look at the players going down the list, Lapadula, Glick, Caprari, Dabo, Ionita, um, Iago Falque, Sao, among a few others. They have a, you know, a, a squad that could maybe not do what Hellas Verona did last year, but I think they could comfortably survive the drop and Roma has to be careful because they scored, you know, they gave up five to Inter, but they also scored two. Uh, that Sampdoria game, they were down two goals and came back and scored three straight to win. So, you know, they could be a dangerous side and Roma's going to have to be careful of that. Right. And again, we're only three matches under their belt. So it's a, it's a bit tough to draw um, conclusions on any side. Um, Sean, what do you what do you think about this match? Uh, is it going to be a walkover for Roma? What do they have to do to keep the uh, keep the Sorcerers down? Well, like like Stephen, I haven't seen them play for ninety minutes. I watched a few highlights videos and I read up a few tactics pieces. Uh, it's tough to say 
what you can expect from Benevento because they've gone from being City being City B kings, you know, basically threatening to break scoring records in the second league to switching up their system this year, signing Yunitsa from Cagliari, who was very good against us last season when he was playing at Cagliari. Um, he can cover a lot of ground. Um, they've become more of a defensive team because, you know, they're, they're basically on paper are relegation battlers. But uh, like Stephen said, I did notice that they, they concede a lot of goals when they're building up from the back. Uh, Montipo, their keeper, I think his name is Montipo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's known for not being, he's a bit of a Paolo Lopez. Well, the, set, the, the latter half season Paolo Lopez and that he's, he's known for not being great at coming out, not great at timing his, his you know, his runs out of goal. So, um, you could catch them on a, like, could catch them cold in their own half like that. Um, but, uh, I think I'm worried about us playing someone like Lorenzo Pellegrini in, in midfield because Benevento, uh, what I noticed was, you know, even though they've become a relegation team this year, they, they still do flood the opposition half when, when, like Steven said, when they're coming back in the game, they need a result. They're not afraid to get men up front. They like to leave only two at the back and play two banks of four in the opposition, opposition half. And they like to try and, um, uh, get your midfield to to break away from your defence and, and drop the ball in between the two lines. And Lorenzo Pellegrini is not the most disciplined when it comes to holding position in front of the defence. So, you know, that could be a, 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 something they'd exploit. And one thing we haven't, one name we haven't mentioned is Roberto Insigne, uh, Lorenzo's brother. He plays the right wing for Benevento and he loves to cross it in with his left foot. So almost like the mirror image of his brother, really. And uh, they, you know, if they, if they do play with that much width. We know how much Fonseca's Roma plays narrow. You know, we could see ourselves outflanked and, and you know, see conceding some dangers from crosses. Okay, so uh, as with any match, sometimes the keys to victory comes down to individual matchups. Sometimes it could be a striker versus center back, midfield versus midfield, or maybe sometimes it's just the keeper standing on his own. So obviously Benevento is a smaller side, even though they're above Roma on the table at the moment, but that does not mean there's any lack of uh, enticing matchups. So Sean, why don't you give us one you want to keep an eye on? Um, I've got my own insignia, as I just mentioned. Uh, you know, we've talked about Marash or Max Kumbula and how he looks so safe on that, on that left side. And he's going to come up against insignia. So he's got to, he's got to stop insignia from cutting him his, on his left foot. And uh, we'll, you know, we know Smalling's out for this game, so we're going to start with the same back three as we started the whole season so far. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing if Kumbula's the real deal. What is it specifically about Insignia that you think could cause Kumbula or Mancini or the whole back line? What is it that makes him so dangerous? Obviously, he's not a top quality player, but what can he do like in one second of a match that could turn this on its head? Well, he, he reminds me of how Diego Perotti used to play for us in his prime on this he, he could just cut inside and deliver an in-swinging ball. Um, we know that we've got this really bad habit of conceding crosses at the far, uh, sorry, the, yeah, the far post. Yeah, back post, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really we should be stopping the crosses at source. And I'm looking for Kumbula or even Spinazzola to, to just stop those crosses before they even get in, before it even comes to question of defending the far post. But if it gets to that point, then we're going to be relying on our right back to really put in a hell of a performance. <laughs> yeah, we're going to touch upon the right back uh, position uh, coming up in a bit. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. You mentioned Smalling might be out. He has a knee sprain. And I think that might actually be a good thing if we're talking about a uh, player like Insigne who can surprise you with a cross. Uh, having that familiarity between the three center backs and having that ease of communication might help. Um, Steve, what do you think about Insigne or just about uh, Benevento's wide play in general? How can our center backs combat that? And how can our wing backs help in that, do you think? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the center backs have that familiarity from the last couple matches. They played well, um, which is why my match matchup I was looking at was uh, just Gianluca Lapadulis projected to start up front for Benevento. So this isn't a wide position, but, you know, he's that veteran, you know, kind of wily striker who can find a goal. He's hurt Roma in the past playing for Genoa. Um, we know the De Rossi incident, but he has found the goal against us in the past from what I remember. And playing against three young strikers, you just have to make sure they they mark them well. You know, they don't concede on on a play where he maybe he outsmarts somebody, not because he's smarter than them, but just that veteran presence and he has that experience. Um, but yeah, when you talk about the wide players, um, stopping those players like Caprari cutting out wide or Falke or Insigne, whatever combination that Inzaghi goes with, I, I think you're right. The wing backs have to help. Um, which is why we might see Santone again because he can play a little more defensively than Bruno Perez. And as far as I know, Karsdorp is still uh, on the injured list. Yeah, according to Gazetta's list here, he's still not ready to go. That might change come match time. But So I'm thinking, and we'll talk more about right back, but Santone, Spinazzola, or Perez, whoever starts, is going to have to definitely help and cut out, help cut those crosses from players like that. Okay, thanks, guys. So uh, obviously, again, um, a little bit of a discrepancy between the size of the clubs, but there are still obviously individual matchups that are going to dictate to a large extent how this match plays out. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit more holistically, uh, not so much on individual matchups, matchups excuse me, but um, maybe broader trends that Roma have to reverse in order to win this match. So in other words, things that have been plaguing them for the first three, three games. Uh, Sean, we'll start with you. What do they have to correct to maybe just sort of put in a not necessarily flawless performance, but to leave all doubt out of the picture, what do they have to do to put their stamp on this match? What are some things they have to erase through the first three weeks? Well, if we talk about the first three games and really the only thing I can say is the finishing because we've, we've made clear clack chances. Um, we've only conceded one goal from open play in the first three games. And uh, we, we got a good defense. We just, uh, with, you know, we're not finishing goal. We're not finishing goal chances when we should. So, yeah, it's just being more clinical in front of goal is, is the only answer I can give you. Yeah, no argument here. Uh, Steve, what do you think? Any other trends that Roma have to fix in order to really put their stamp on this to really win this unequivocally? Yeah, I, I think it has to be the finishing. Like Sean said, they've created chances. Uh, we saw in the Juve match, they had a couple of chances to put the match away. They didn't. And, you know, just putting more shots on target and, and finishing chances, I think. So let's just uh, really quickly talk about uh, we've spoken on a few of our podcasts how Edin Dzeko uh, seems to be struggling to fit in, um, particularly with his new um, teammates up front, Pedro and Mkhitaryan. Uh, might we see Borja Mayoral this match? Do you think this is a match screaming for a new player against a lesser side, maybe someone who can fit in? He's a little bit more similar to the other wide forward. Sean, what do you think? Yeah, I think... I think you make a case stick. for it, at least. I think Fonseca will stick with his main man, Dzeko, for, for the start. But if if it drags on till like the second half or things are looking like, you know, Roman needs a, a, a kick in the arse, then you, know, you, you got to look at Mayola coming off on bench and, and hoping that has an effect. Um, interesting if it will be uh, Mayola coming in and doing a front two with Dzeko, has been rumoured, or if it will just be a straight swap. Um, I think the, the main case for, for 
you know, having two strikers on the pitch is that Glick and Calderola, the centre-backs uh, for Benefrento, they tend to get caught standing still. They're not the fastest in the first place, but that's right. It doesn't really bother me. It's just that they they can be passive and switch off in matches. So you do want you know, your goal-getters on the pitch in numbers. Right. I, I think for you guys are right. Finishing is certainly one and just sort of the ease with which Jekyll can play with his um, new partners up front is things to keep an eye on. But I'm just sort of curious about the substitution patterns. I mean, through three weeks, we've seen there's still five subs that's still allowed, but Fonseca has been sitting on pretty much all of them. I, I can't even recall that he's used all three subs so far. He seems to be waiting to at least the 75th minute. Steve, do you have any sort of theory or thought as to why that might be? Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's certain guys getting up to speed. Like we said, Bruno Perez was out with COVID, and then, you know, you had some other issues going on. I, I was just thinking, well, wouldn't it be nice to beat a smaller side like this 2 3 nothing, and get some of those younger players playing in the second half, get Myrall, you know, acclimated a little bit, get VR some time, get Perez some time up front, because those younger players aren't getting any looks, so they're not getting the experience to really improve their game. And we saw, at least from Perez and uh, VR last year, they have the potential to turn into, you know, decent players for Roma this year. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't seen much of VR at all so far. Uh, so on that, we'll stick with you, Steve. So Steve, as you know, is our, our go-to guy for our probable formations, which we'll have along tomorrow. So if we look um, at this match, I know we just discussed uh, key players, substitution patterns. So if we look at what positions might be up in the air for this one, obviously Smalling looks like he's going to be out. But if we look at right back, um, what do you think? Who has the edge there? Uh, after discussing what we were saying before, I think Santone still has the edge over um, Bruno Perez. He hasn't really put a wrong foot in in those, those matches he's played so far, and he defends a little bit better. So if Roma's worried about conceding, I think he'd be the better option. Uh, it depends what kind of approach Fonseca takes because he does have Spinazzola pushing the left side hard. I don't know if he'll want two wing backs that push forward so aggressively and maybe leaving those young center backs exposed. Um, the other position, I think Pellegrini is going to start after his last couple of matches in center mid with Vertu, but there's always the chance he can go to a different route. I'm not sure if DOR is cleared yet because I know he did test positive recently uh, with the national team. So at, with him out, I would think it's Pellegrini, but that would be another position he might go a different direction. Yeah, it, it certainly seemed like, at least temporarily, we had the right-back problem solved. Bruno Paris was obviously one of the standouts of the restart. And then over the summer, um, it looked like Rick Karsdorp was finally going to get a, a chance to prove himself if he could at least stay healthy. Uh, but, Sean, what do, you, what do you make of Davide Santone? Can he keep the ship afloat for the time being, do you think? Yeah, he's a, he's a good foil to Spinazzola on the left side. You know, If, if, you, if you're a fan of uh, asymmetric football where you have one guy bombing up front and the other guy staying back to make sure you got, you know, safety and numbers in defense. And it's a good solution to have those two working in tandem on, on each side. Um, Fonseca isn't, isn't a fan of that. He actually likes both guys to get forward. And that's Santon's biggest weakness is that he's just, he doesn't have the pace to, to get up and down the flank. Um, like we've said several times over the years, he'd be a great center half, but as a fullback, um, just lacks the pace, but he's he's actually a good defender. You know, I'm not I'm not too unhappy about Santon, the Roma player. Over his career with us, he's actually been decent. So you're not jaded at all from your Santon experience with Newcastle as well. You're twice <laughs> now in your fandom. He he was a very very different player back then, and he actually played very well for for us at Newcastle. I can tell you. But then he he got an injury um, that kept him out in, the, in his last season on Tyneside, and he's never really been the same since. So. 
Yeah, he's had a, a really strange career. I mean, what was that Champions League game where he was doing so well against Ronaldo, wasn't it? And everyone was hailing him as the next big. Yeah, you, yeah he Maldini. was like the next Maldini, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember writing pieces about him years ago, just begging for Roman to get him. <laughs> yeah. For, yeah, for I, Newcastle, I, Newcastle, he was a baller. He was on the, he was on the left side, he was left back, but he, he cut inside. And he was one of our technically best players at the time, but he's just a different player now. Yeah, wow. How long ago was that? That was like 2012-ish, I think. Wow. About eight years ago. Yeah. All right. So at the start of this, I promised this would be a shorter uh, podcast, which is going to be. So we're um, up against the gun here. So let's talk. Well, we had one other spot of bother here, goalkeeper. Um, I don't know if there's anything we could really discuss about it other than to say that there were um, some rumors prior to the break that the, the club might ease Paul Lopez back into his starting job uh, after the break. Um, so obviously this is the first match after the break against a newly promoted side. So this could be a good chance for him. But uh, the one thing I did notice throughout the week, the club seemed to be doing a lot of social media posts with Morante, Antonio Morante playing just highlights of him. So that and, and I've also noticed Benevento don't hesitate to take shots around the box, whether it be around the area or inside. You know, when they get a chance, they take it. They're not, not that they bury it every time, but they, they take shots on goal. So it might not be the best chance, a game to test back Paolo Lopez. No, not a strong suit. All right, so let's wrap it up here with predictions. So I want you to, each of you, give me a score and maybe the scorers. Steve, what do you think? How's this one going to end? Ooh. Uh, I'm going to go Roma win. Uh, let's let's say 3-1. They they get out of that goal drought a little bit. We'll go uh, Jekyll on the double and Mkhitaryan, and Lapadula gets one back for Benevento. All right, Sean, what about you? I'll say 4-0 with uh, wow. Jekyll Brace and <laughs> Mayor Brace, and everyone's happy. Four nil. I'll go two uh, nil Roma. I'll say Vertu and Pedro. All right, so that's there we go. three for three. We are predicting three wins. So uh, we're rushing here because our Zoom uh, counter is timing down. So I want to, again, thank everybody for listening. And I think we'll try and make these uh, preview pods a little more uh, of a consistent thing. And um, if we do, we'll have uh, juicier matchups to talk about. Um, no offense to Benevento, but they're not the most appealing or exciting. <laughs> squad in the world hey those are some witches you're insulting right there that's oh yeah i shouldn't do that uh so yeah we got two roman matches this weekend the women play san marino on saturday and then the men play benevento on sunday so uh cruise by the site we'll have our standard preview up and then we'll have probable formations and we'll see you on the site thank you again for listening catch you next time bye